Thank you, everyone. David G. here, alcoholic and addict of many sorts. Very grateful to be here tonight with you guys and grateful for a recovery date of August 8th, 1994 in Alcoholics Anonymous and October 1st of 2019, coming up pretty quick, God willing, in the SA Fellowship. And I'm very grateful to be a member of both today. Well, we've been looking at the book for some weeks now, and uh, we're still in step one. I always get a big smile on my face when somebody tells me step one is the only one I do 100% every day. I've heard that in meetings all my life. There are 88 pages in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, that lay out the first 11 steps and the directions on how to work them. 43 of those pages are on step one. So for me to say that I do that 100% every day just because I don't drink or act out, that's very far from the truth as I know it today by taking a good in-depth look at this chapter. So if in step two we are asking to be restored to sanity, then obviously insanity must be the problem. Now, not while we're drinking or acting out or none of that, but while we are sober, stone cold sober. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary and you look at the words sanity, it just means wholeness of mind or complete. A mind that is whole or complete can see the truth. There's no doubt about that. We make good decisions. We live a pretty good life. But the word insanity is less than whole. We see things that are false. It's been my experience, I don't know about yours, that if I can see the truth, then I'm sane. If I can't, then I'm insane. I make decisions based on a lie. And sooner or later, I run into the truth and life becomes a living hell. And that happens inside of sobriety, not just while I'm out there drinking. Now, when I'm out drinking and drugging and acting out and doing the things I do, people would say that was pretty insane behavior. Uh, I'll guarantee you my wife in this house here tonight would tell you that I was a very insane man without any kind of chemical in my body at all. That's insanity. Now, the craziness that I do while I'm drinking and drugging and acting out and do all the things I do, that's something quite different. That's from alcohol. That's from drugs. That's from lust. That's the craziness. That's not the insanity that we're going to be looking at in this chapter. When we got to page 23 in this book, it said these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took that first drink, thereby setting a terrible cycle into motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic addict centers in his mind, not his body. So we haven't talked about drinking or any of that since that page we've been looking at what the solution is the spiritual experience to overcome the insanity that's in the mind now in this chapter bill's going to show us this by a series of examples about four of them actually one is going to be the man of 30 the other is going to be a man named jim the other is going to be the jay walker and then we're going to look at a man named fred and each time that we look at this, we're going to see how the insanity of the mind led to taking action based on a lie. And the truth was they ended up drinking after a period of sobriety. Now, I don't know if anybody on here has had that experience, but I can promise you I have many times. I have acted out. I've done all this craziness and wondered what in the hell is wrong with me. Absolutely so. I can't figure it out. Why I keep running back and back and back to that. So we're not crazy. 
we suffer from insanity, which is less than whole, according to the definition. My sponsor, Charlie P., he used to give an example. He'd say, I set a pie here in front of me, and I cut it into eight pieces. You come along, and I give you a piece of that. That pie is less than whole. Somebody else come along, I give them a piece, and someone else and someone else, and I give them a piece. That pie is less than whole. But it's not all gone. He said, insanity doesn't mean that you're all gone. It just means that you're not all there. And that's absolutely what happens to me in sobriety with untreated alcoholism, drug addiction, lust addiction, whatever it may be. So we're going to take a look tonight at more about alcoholism. Why would he say more? You would think that we had learned enough <laughs> looking through the chapters. Well, as has been said already in this study, when he laid out that spiritual experience, he knew that we weren't going to like it anymore than he did. If you look at his story on page 13 there, he, he gives a fine example of that. But he said, let me write a, a chapter and tell him a little more about alcoholism and what happens in the mind prior to that drink. And I'll guarantee you, if they're one of us, they'll go for that solution quickly. They have to. There's no other choice. So we're going to look at more about alcoholism. And Joe, which is a good friend of mine, was the opposite of Charlie, Joe and Charlie. Joe used to say, it could be called more truth about alcoholism, he'd say. He'd say, if we know the truth, it'll set us free. And if we're not free, then it's because we don't know the truth. And this chapter is going to show us the truth about the mind. Let's take a look at the book. Most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. Not all of us. Most of us. Big M there. Bold letters. No person likes to think, keyword right there, that he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. And if I don't think I'm bodily and mentally different from my fellows, then I believe a lie. And when I take action based on lies, sooner or later I'm going to run into the truth and there's going to be a lot of hell to pay. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that we could drink like other people. The idea, key word right there, idea, see, belief, insanity, ideas, thoughts, this is the self. We're going to be uncovering this in depth as we go through this chapter and through the rest of this book. This is what's killing us. This is what will kill us in sobriety. The idea that someday he will control, we want to keep a good eye on that. It is insane for me to believe or have an idea that I can control anything when everything in my life points to just the opposite. He will control and enjoy his drinking. This is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. So we know that an obsession is a thought that crowds out all other thoughts. It will lead me to take action based on a lie. And whenever I do, my reality is all kinds of hell. And if you look at the word illusion, we know that that's a magician. With a wave of a hand or two, he can show me something that's not there. And I believe it. So obsession and illusion is the same thing. It's the same thing, only Bill will use it in different words. He says, many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Insanity is believing a lie. It's the same thing as an obsession. It's the same thing as an illusion. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics, addicts, whatever it may be. This is the first step in recovery, the delusion. We're going to want to pay attention to that word. Because a delusion 
is something that will make me believe that something is true. We're going to see later on in this book where we become the victim of a delusion. And this has been the problem. That we are like other people. Notice how he says we are. It doesn't say we were. Big difference in those two words. Or presently maybe has to be matched. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control or choose, whatever you want to call it, our drinking. There again, control. It's been mentioned twice here. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt, keyword right there, felt. There's a feeling. Here's an idea. Here's a belief. Here's a thought. See how it keeps coming? It just keeps coming at us over and over and over in the mind. Felt at times we were regaining control. Anybody feel that way on here other than me? Such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We took an action based on self, and it later put us in a position to be hurt. And there's a great sentence as an example. We are convinced to a man that alcoholic of our type is in the grip of a progressive illness. I'm in the grip of this. That's very strange terminology that I would be in the grip of the obsession, the insanity, the, and it's how my life is playing out is absolute proof of that. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Remember, we're talking about being sober here. We're not talking about drinking and acting out anymore. We're talking about coming into the rooms and doing 90 and 90 and doing this, and doing that, doing all these things. And we get absolutely crazy in the mind. We take action based on that. We, we act out again or whatever it is we do. And we're stumped. We can't figure out why. We've done everything that we've been told to do. Except for getting into the big book Alcoholics Anonymous with a guide that can take you through this process. We are. Notice how it doesn't say we were. It says we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. A man like that will never grow new legs ever again. He must be carried anywhere he goes to get anywhere. Now, he may have prosthetics or whatever, but if you take those away from him, it doesn't matter. He's not going to have them anymore. He must be helped to do anything. That's exactly how I am in the illness. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every, keyword here, imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. I guarantee you. Most people on this meeting tonight can relate to this. A sex addict, oh my God, it's, it's the worst. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So when I went through this process, the first time was in 1999. So my sponsor had me write in that little space. 1939 or 1999 or 2018 when I went back through this process again. Still, science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. And that's been more than 80 years now. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to, keyword right here, believe that they are in that class. And if I don't believe that I'm in that class, then I'm going to take action based on a lie. And my truth is going to become what it's always come. And this is going to happen to me while I'm sober. By every form of self-deception and experimentation. Now, notice how he words that. Self-deception comes first. Experimentation always comes next. That's always how it works in my life. It always has been. 
Self will deceive me into believing the lie. Self doesn't have arms and legs, so it uses mine. And it convinces me. And I take action based on that. And when I do, there's an experimentation. So by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone is showing inability to control, see, it isn't that I lost control. I lost the power to choose. I lost the power of control. I lost the inability to control. That's what I lost. And if I lost that, who got it? <laughs> Obviously, there's something else. So if anyone is showing inability to control his drinking, can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows that we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Now, my mind will convince me based on things that I've heard in meetings and the fellowship and speakers, most every speaker I ever heard will tell me that, David, you have a spiritual sickness. You have a spiritual illness. Your spirit is sick. And until that is healed, there will never be any type of recovery whatsoever. I see now that that's a lie. Now, there's lots of spirits. There's bad spirit. There's good spirits. Trust me, I know. I'm native. I know. But there is only one, the spirit. And that spirit is not sick. It can't be. If that spirit is sick, then we're all in trouble. There is no hope for anyone. And he's going to give us some examples of how that is. And we're going to see that we do have a spiritual sickness. And we do have a spiritual illness. But it's based on a human condition. And that condition is called self. And self is going to deceive us into believing this stuff. And I'm going to try all these other things to make that become a reality, the spiritual experience in my life. And there's nothing I can do to make that happen. So he's going to give us a series of examples of here, but we're not going to see the word spiritual used one time. Here are some of the methods we have tried drinking beer only. That's physical. Limiting the number of drinks. That's mental. Never drinking alone. That's mental. Never drinking in the morning. That's mental. Drinking only at home. That's physical. Never having it in the house. That's mental. Never drinking during business hours. That's mental. Drinking only at parties. That's physical. Switching from scotch to brandy. That's physical. Drinking only natural wines. That's physical. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. That's mental. Taking a trip. Not taking a trip. Mental. Swearing off forever. Mental. With and without a solid mode. Taking more physical exercise. Physical. Reading inspirational books. Mental. Going to health farms and sanitariums. Mental. Accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. Mental. We could increase the list ad infinitum. There's nothing spiritual mentioned there, not one time. But my mind will trick me into believing that it is. This is what happens to me even so. I take more physical exercise to try to get out of this insanity that goes on inside my head. I read more inspirational books like this one. I go to meetings. Uh, he says health, health farm sanitariums. I do all this stuff, and uh, nothing seems to work. I still end up. Insane. And at best, I don't act out or drink, but I'm, I'm a very insane man. <laughs> My experience definitely proves that. So he's going to give a couple of uh, drink tests through here, and this is going to be the first one. And it says, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. For years, that's the only suggestion that I ever followed in this book. The only one. Now, if you're a sex addict, turn that word bar room around, put bathroom on there, and you probably got the same outcome. It says, try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take you long to decide. That's a decision. 
if you're honest with yourself about it. Now, if I make a decision based on that, and it doesn't take me long to decide that that's not going to work, then a little bit of sanity has begun to creep into my life, whether I know that or not at this point. But it may be worth a bad case of the jitters to get a full knowledge of your condition. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of no overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. Man of 30, first example. He's going to lay out four. Here's the first one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in his business, but saw, that's a vision, he saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, remember the physical allergy. Once we put it inside of our body, we're unable to stop for any reason, no matter what that is. Doesn't matter if you're alcoholic, doesn't matter if you're sexaholic. Once you take action based on that thought, the reality is going to be a craving that demands more of the same. He made up his mind. That's a very dangerous term for any one of us. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and retired, he would not touch another drop. Now, he's going to take action based on that decision that he made in his mind. And he's going to get some sobriety out of that, for sure. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55. After a successful and happy business career, look real close at this sentence. Then he fell victim to a belief. There again, if I fall victim to a belief and take action based on that, my reality is probably going to be drunkenness, all kinds of acting out, craziness, or whatever the addiction may be, eating, not eating, whatever it is. We really want to pay attention to beliefs, ideas, concepts. This is the self. This is what defeats us. This is self-deception, which practically every alcoholic has. That is long period of sobriety and self-discipline. Notice the small s there. Qualified him to drink his other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. Because he took action based on a lie. After many years of sobriety. A lot of us do that. A lot of us do that with not very much sobriety. And we do everything that we've been told to do. We go to 90 and 90. We get a sponsor. We read the book. We do all these things. And we end up drunk again. So this man tried to regulate. That word is connected to choice. And remember, we wanted to look at choice and control over and over and over. So he tried to regulate. I do a lot of fish frying here in the South. And... I have a massive cooker out there, and it's governed by a regulator, and it can only go to whatever I give it the power to do, and that's kind of how it is here. I try to regulate my drinking or acting out for a while. He says making several trips to the hospital meantime, then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Willpower ain't going to save us at this point, and ain't no way. We've already taken action based on life. And the reality is here. And this is what his was. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt fell. Of course it will. Can't overcome self with self. They just ain't, ain't no way to do that. 
Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. That's a promise in the book. Not all promises are the good ones. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed, look at that word, key word right there. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink or act out or use or whatever it is, normal. And if I believe that, I'm going to take action based on that. And I'm going to fall into that insanity over and over and over and over and over. See, it's not the drink. That comes last. It's not the acting out. That comes last. It's the belief that precedes it. It's the idea that precedes it. That's the trouble here. And once we get our mind wrapped around that, then we can see what the real problem is. If your problem is drinking, just don't drink. If your problem's acting out, just don't act out. If your problem's a drug, just don't use drugs. But every time you stop doing that, if the insanity of the mind comes on you one day after a little bit of sobriety and tells you, hey, it's all right, we're a little better now, and we take action based on that, it's going to be the same as him. It said, here was a man at 55 years who found his, he was just where he had left off at 30. And I've shared this in many times, many meetings, and on many studies. That's probably one of the only sentences in the big book that I don't believe. That is true. I don't believe that. Because if you look at the prior page, he had a choice whether he could stop or not. He decided that he wanted to be ambitious in business and saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. He put it down for 25 years. He was able to choose whether or not he drank, and he stayed sober 25 years. That's not the case here. So when he says, here is a man who at 55 found that he was just where he left off 30, I don't see it that way, and that's just me. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic or addict or whatever you are. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we're in a short time. Notice how he says it doesn't say we were. It says we are in a short time as bad as ever, if not worse. <laughs> if, key word, we're planning to stop drinking, acting out, whatever it is, there must be no reservation. That comes from the mind of any kind or lurking notion that comes from the mind that someday I'll be immune to alcohol, lust, whatever it is. Now, young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think, keyword, that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt many of them can do it because none of them will really want to and hardly one of them because of, look at these keywords, the peculiar mental twist already acquired it's already acquired wow self is in full force i'm usually the only one that doesn't know this look how it says it will find he can win out it doesn't say me it says he this is going to set up the idea throughout the rest of this work that self is not me now i'm responsible for every action that i've ever taken there's no doubt I was there, but I'm going to find, come to find that something much greater than me that cannot restore me to sanity was the one directing the thinking here. And we see it in this example, and we're going to see it in all the rest of the examples going through this book. It will find he can win out, not me. We're going to begin to label that. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, have been drinking only a few years to find themselves as helpless as those who have been drinking for 20 years. That's a hell of a statement. 
people with just a few years was as helpless as those who had been drinking for 20 years. How could that be? That insanity of the mind grows very quickly in some. And it's going to say that happens to women fairly quick. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time or take the quantity some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their, key word here, inability to stop. I'm unable. I can't do it. We who are familiar with the symptoms, and I think that I need to be familiar with the symptoms. If I'm going to try to help somebody else, obviously I need to know what they are. We see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere. We try to get them to see them. As we look back, we, keyword right here, feel we had went on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. In other words, a choice. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving the liquor alone for one year. Now, this is drink test number two. We looked at number one. So, and in fact, on drink test number one, in going through this work, I was asked to set aside everything I thought I knew for a new experience in an open mind. And you know the prayer, everybody does. And the question came to me one day, and this was after many years of being sober. I was pretty young whenever I sobered up this last time. A little bit older whenever I sobered up from acting out. Maybe it really wasn't all that bad. Maybe I, maybe I deceived myself on that. And my sponsor, I said, how will I know? And he said, won't you step over there like it says and try some controlled grass? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Huh? And he said, well, that sounds to me like you're pretty convinced. And so if we are convinced that we cannot step over there and do those things, that's a good thing, not bad. That's the kind of convincing that I need. So the book says if he's a real alcoholic, and very far advanced, or no choice, in other words, there's a scant chance of his success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. For those of us who are unable to act out moderately, the question becomes how do I quit? How do I stop this altogether? I mean, it says we're assuming that the reader, and it took me a minute to realize that was talking about me, desires to stop. But here it is, whether such a person, David, can quit on a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the key words here, power to choose whether he will drink or not. I used to run around the meetings all the time saying, thank God today I have a choice. Thank God today I have a choice. Because that's what I was hearing. It sounded pretty good. I thought I'd have a choice. And I remember my sponsor at the time pulled me out of that meeting that night. He pulled me to the side and he said, I don't want to hear you say that. And I'll call it synonymous ever again. And I said, why? He said, you really think you have a choice? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I didn't drink today, obviously. He said, well, let me ask you this. When you got up this morning, who do you ask to keep you sober today? And I said, well, God. He said, then where in the hell was your choice? Was it with you or was it with God? I said, wow. 
<laughs> I was kind of eye open. And he brought me right to this part of the book. He was a man who could flip open the page pretty quick and show you where you was wrong. And he did that night. And he turned right here and he said, whether such a person can quit upon an on a spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he'll drink or not. Some of us felt, keyword right here, felt. There's those feelings again. That we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, but we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction if they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render even a greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the key word here, mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, acting out, or whatever the trouble may be. Because obviously this is the problem. If it's, if it's the alcohol, don't drink. If it's, the, if it's the sex, don't act out. You should be okay. But remember, every time we stop, something shows up to steal our joy and peace. And the book describes it as mental state that precedes a relapse into drinking. This is the crux of the problem, not the drinking. What sort of thinking? Keyword. Dominates. In other words, something dominates my thinking. Time after time. He says, an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink. Friends who have reasoned, keyword right there, with him after the spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce and bankruptcy or mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he, of what is he thinking? Keyword. What kind of thinking would dominate me to walk back into that. In 1993, I was leaving home from a bar one night that I frequent pretty regular. And I was driving a vehicle that had no tag. I had no license, no insurance. And I'm drunk. And I went and picked up my two little boys who were five and six, I think, at the time. And I'm racing down the road in that car. And the woman that I was dating at the time had those boys. And I got them away from her. And she said something smart to me. And I chased her down that road just bumping that car with mine, with those boys in that back seat, no seat belt on, just thumping them over and over and over, trying to run her off the road and kill her. That's what was happening. And somewhere in that night, I went back to that bar with those boys in that car. And I went in that bar and left them in that bar. And I drank until it was time to close. And I left that bar and I didn't remember. And when I came to, I was in a nine-foot canal, nose first with that car, straight down. And I looked around. I couldn't see my boys. And it scared the hell out of me. I thought, oh, my God, they're dead. They're dead. There's a mason jar sitting there. It had what we call Wildcat whiskey here in Oklahoma. I never had another thought about those boys and where the hell they were at or what happened or nothing. The only thing I could think about was picking that drink up and taking it so I could shake it off just a little bit and pull my senses together. Cops all over the place. I'm going to jail. Then the reality hits me. Oh, shit. Boys, where are the boys? Thank God while I was in that bar drinking, that woman come back and got them out of that car. She hadn't. They'd been dead. What sort of thinking would drive me to go back there? No one. 
what the hell is going to happen to me. Mystified when I walked right back into that saloon. The next day, they took me to jail. This was my fourth or fifth DUI. I'd already been in jail for a long time, and I'm going back. I know it this time. And there was a guy there, and I just love this man. He saved my life. And God sent him at that time, and he was running for sheriff, and he really wanted to become sheriff. And when I woke up, he said, I'm going to give you a phone call, and then I want you to go back in there and sit down. And I said, man, there ain't no need for me to make a phone call. <laughs> there ain't nobody coming to get me. And so he went back in there, and I went back in there and sat down. He came in there, and he said, I'm going to let you go. I said, do what? And he said, I'm going to let you go at 8 o'clock this morning. He said, David, you got to get a handle on this drinking. He said, I could send you to prison the rest of my life right here. I could. And you probably should go. He said, but I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to let you go. And I couldn't believe him. I just thought, my God, wow. And he let me out that morning at 8 o'clock. He said, go back to bed and sleep. And I'm walking down the road trucking. i got to go check on my boys. And I just happened to glance to the right. And little Edie's bar set off to the right. I thought, damn, I'm going to stop in there for just a second because I know old boy's in there and I need to talk to him for just a minute. We're not, we're not going to drink. Mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? What the hell is he thinking? And I walked into that bar that morning and I took a drink and I didn't see them boys for three more days. Good God. I look back on times like that and I think, Marty, if there's not a loving God, <laughs> we're all dead. You know what I mean? So, well, that was the first example. This is the second our first example is a friend we show called Jim. My sponsor had me to mark that out and write David up above it. Because <laughs> really, we're talking about David here. Truth be told. This man has a charming wife and a family. Now, this was true in 2019. It wasn't true back in them days. But this was true in 2019, whenever all this acting out, discovery, and all this stuff came around. This man has a charming wife and a family. Inherited a lucrative automobile agency as a commendable World War record. He's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. Now, this guy did no drinking until he was 35. And in a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. So let's look at this man named Jim. And let's look how he gathers some sobriety here. And let's look how the insanity of the mind comes and robs that away from him while he is sober. And then let's look at our experience, almost the same, and see if we can identify with Jim. Now, I don't know about you, but I identified with the man at 30. Let's see if we can identify with Jim. Jim works the first three steps right here. We told him what we knew of alcohol, step one, right there. They told him after he came into contact about the allergy to the body, the obsession to the mind, and the malady. That self had set up. They told him what they knew of alcoholism and the answer that they had found. That's step two. That's the answer we found. A power greater than self can restore us to sanity. We're beginning to get an idea of what kind of sanity needs to be restored here based on the insanity that we're looking at that's going on in these men's life and adding it to ours. So Jim's work, step one and two right there. It says he made a beginning. There's step three. If you look at page 63 in the book, it says this is but a beginning. So he's made a beginning. He's worked the first three steps. Well, look at the promises, what happens to Jim, what happens to many of us. His family was reassembled after he took these first three steps. That's a beautiful promise. I don't know about anybody else, but I think family restoration is one of the most beautiful things that happens here. 
So his family was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman that he had lost through drinking. That's about a resentment waiting to happen for sure. All went well for a time, but look what happened to Jim. He failed to enlarge on his spiritual life. Steps four through 12, Jim never took them. Jim rested on the blessings that it came his way. Having a good time. Oh, but he's a little bit angry about his job, losing that. So it says, to his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times. So you're looking at six times in rapid succession, back, 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 we're drunk. Falling out, falling out, falling out, falling out. And once we kick that in, we're gone. That train's gone. We pick the day we go out of here. God picks the day we come back. We don't know when that day might be, and that might be a long, long time. I've seen it with many, many people, including myself. So he agreed he was a real alcoholic. Jim agreed to that. He knew step one, that he was in a serious condition. He knew that. He knew that he faced another trip to the asylum, jail, meetings, whatever you want to call it. He knew, key words, he knew in his mind this was going to happen to him. Moreover, he would lose his family whom he had deep affection. He knew this and with all his heart. Any of the husbands or wives ever say, you do that again, you're out of here forever. I swear to God, I'm going to get rid of you. You're never coming back. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, me too. Well, Jim got drunk again. But I do want to look at, at one. Let's see. It's his consternation found himself drunk after this. Look, look at what it says right here. On each of these occasions, we worked with him. Now, those are good members. Those are good members that will work with a man six times. Of relapse nowadays one or two or three and they we're pretty tired by the end of messing with somebody and we just cut them loose i know i've been guilty of that many 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 times but these were good members right here they worked with jim every time they finally got tired of it one day and they said they asked him to tell us exactly how it happened we want to know jim what happened tell us precisely don't leave out anything well, this is his story. Now, that's how self works. You ask me what's happened to me, and I want to tell you a story. Now, anybody that's in my lineage of sponsorship will know that stories is not part of that deal. We don't tell very many stories. And when we get behind the podium, we tell very little about a story. The only story we're interested in is how the first, how many men and women have recovered from alcoholism. That's the story we're interested in. Now, obviously, we have to identify here. I'm not saying that. But I'm like him. You don't want to ask me what's happened to me. I'm going to tell you a story. Look what he says. I come to work on Tuesday morning. I don't know about where you live, but where I live, the work day usually starts on Monday. So we know where Jim was all day. Monday, he's drunk. He says, I remember I felt. Key word right there. Um, felt. Irritated. Remember way back in the doctor's opinion, we're restless, irritable, and discontent. Unless we can again experience the sense and ease and comfort, which comes from taking a few drinks. Well, this has happened to Jim. We see that he felt that he had to be a salesman for a concern that I once owned. That's a resentment. If I've ever seen a resentment, that's one right there. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. That's dishonesty. I don't know about you, but anytime I've had a few words with the boss, it's always serious. It's always serious. So I think that Jim's lying there. Next, I decided, oh, bad move, making a decision here. With that kind of a mind, he's rested on his laurels. He hasn't worked steps four through nine. Jim's made a decision. 
take a ride to the country to see one of his prospects for a car on the way I felt. Keyword, felt. There it is again. Look at how self is setting him up. It's fixing to beat him down. Anybody else ever have this experience? I felt hungry, so I stopped at the roadside place where they had a bar. I had no intention. Look at that key word right there. Intention. That comes from self. That's the insanity of the mind. I had no intention to drink. I just thought. There's the key word. There's that thought. Mm -hmm. I get a sandwich. I also had the notion. Key word. Notion. That comes from the mind. Self is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. That I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was married for. I've been going to it for years. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. So Jim had been sober for some months is what that tells me on the first three steps. I've seen a lot of people do it. I sit down at the table. Now he's taking action based on that decision. He sit down at the table. He orders a sandwich and a glass of milk. There's absolutely nothing insane about that. Nothing. Still no keyword right here. Thought of drinking. Ordered another sandwich and decided keyword. He's making decisions all by himself to have another glass of milk. Now, I'm a pretty good big boy, and I can eat two sandwiches and drink glass, two glasses of milk, but that, I usually don't need that. So he's made all these decisions. There again, nothing insane about that. Look how quickly insanity hits him, suddenly. And that means right now. The thought, key word. Crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. Why in the hell would I think that? No one. Looking back at my experience, me in the ditch, me in the jail, me at the crack house, everywhere that I've been. Oh, I've been sober a few months. I can put a little bit of whiskey in the milk. That's not me doing that kind of thinking. I promise you that's not. That's the stuff that's been set up in my mind. The only thing I've done is the same thing that Jim done is I've taken action based on those beliefs. And here comes my reality. Same as his. Ordered glass of whiskey and poured it in the milk. It's in the body now. The mind can say we're going home all day long. We're not going home. The body, it's got us now. The allergy. I vaguely sensed, keyword, I was not being any too smart, but felt, keyword, Reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. Wow, what a feeling. <laughs> I feel a little reassured now. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. Of course he did. Of course he did. He's triggered the allergy. He's going to drink until the drink is gone, or he is, one of the two. That didn't seem, key word, didn't seem to bother me. Everybody, Anybody ever relapse, don't really seem to bother you at first. It's really not that bad. Give a day or two. Watch what happens. So I tried another. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Now here was the threat of commitment, loss of family and position to say nothing of that intense mental physical suffering which drinking had always caused him. Jim had much knowledge. Keyword. Anytime Squibbly Writing was in the book, look close at that. Much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. It don't matter how much knowledge you have. This will kill you. And me. And trust me, yet for all reasons, for not drinking, were easily pushed aside in the favor for the keyword right here. Foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Well, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this keywords right here. Plain insanity. That's what set us up. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight keywords? 
be called anything else. And in my little space there, my sponsor had me to write these words. I can't stand straight. I have no choice. I got to be convinced of that. I got to be. Because if I still have a choice, I'm going to try to exert it at some point. Self is. It's going to set me up for the fall. And it's going to do it over and over and over and over. I may stay sober for a long time, like Jim did. But at some point, I'll believe the lie, take action based on it. And here we go one more time. You may think this is an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. For me, there's a question mark there. I don't know about you, but I need to ask myself this question. For this kind of keyword here, thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. Is that true or is that not? That would be my experience. And what I have written in the margin of my book is this. The mind deprives us of the ability to manage a decision to never take another drink or another lust drink even after we've made a vital decision to stay sober. And so that's exactly what we're seeing here. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences. Anybody in here could take a look at that and absolutely see that that's what we do. We reflect on the consequences. We know what's going to happen to us the same as he did, and we end up doing it again. And that's absolute hopelessness. But, keyword changes the whole paragraph. There was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink or the first lust drink, whatever it may be. Our sound reasoning, keyword, failed to hold us in check. The insane, keyword right here, idea, won out. And that's what we see over and over and over. And this is very scary for me because when I look at this now, that tells me, that the insanity is running parallel with my sound reasoning. And at some point it's going to win out because I don't have the power to overcome that. At least at this point, even believing in a power greater than myself is not enough at times to win out on this because I have no relationship with this power. The power is not flowing through me to me and through me at this point. So the insane idea will always win out next day. We would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity, How could it have happened? I remember going to my sponsors many times in a lot of earnestness and sincerity and saying, why? Why do I continue to do this over and over and over with the lust? And they had no answer, you know, and the biggest reason it wasn't their fault. It wasn't because they didn't have enough knowledge, enough experience. They just didn't understand the disease of sexaholism, as most of us in this room knows it today. So in all earnestness and sincerity, I would ask not only them, but myself, how could this have happened again? In some circumstances, not in all, but some, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk or to act out, Keyword here, feeling ourselves justified. And look at the soldiers itself here, nervous, by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. Anybody that hasn't drank alcohol or done drugs in a long, long time and acts out in this kind of behavior suffers from this kind of stuff sober. And that's a very bad place to be, a very bad place to be in our recovery. Uh, Well, in our sobriety, not much recovery there at this point. But it says, even in this type of beginning, and I think the key words for us here is this type. This type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened, what always did happen. 
I always suffered from not only nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, but shame, remorse, guilt. I suffered from that. That's what always happened. We now see that when we begin to drink or act out deliberately instead of casually, and sometimes based on a resentment, I will do that. There was little serious or effective key word right here, thought during the premeditation. We know what a premeditation is. It's something that I've already reflected on and now I'm about to take action on it, but I, there's little or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. So really this is the only paragraph that talks about deliberate drinking or deliberate acting out deliberately. So that's my experience with the book. And I just love reading these examples because we're going to see all the way through here. This is the problem. If drinking is the problem, don't drink. If acting out is the problem, don't act out. But anytime you stop that, the insanity shows up. Now you've met the real problem. There's only one thing that can overcome that. And that's a power greater than itself. Only thing. Anyway, thank you all for your service tonight. I'm really glad to be here. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. Back on page 30, where it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. For somebody who's new or, you know, even for the old timer, trying to gain a new experience, how would you say that one fully concedes that we're alcoholics through this work? I think when I see the truth and coming through step one with somebody who is guiding me and showing me the undiluted message of Alcoholics Anonymous as it's written right here, and I see this insanity, I'm going to go one or two ways. I'm either going to fully concede or I'm going to fall away if I'm lucky enough to make it to this far in the book. A lot of people never get this far going through the process. It's pretty tough, especially whenever the beast is on you. My experience with that is alcohol, drugs, lust. The book says and it becomes the great persuader, and that was most definitely my experience. So that's my take on that. Thanks. Wow. It's like going to university all over again. <laughs> it's incredible. David, I, I, I'm writing notes here as we go, man, but um, could, you, um, could you just elucidate and go over again about the spiritual? You, you mentioned something, I think I wrote it here. If the spirit is sick, we're all in trouble. Could you just go over that again for me a little slower so I could absorb the fact there? Yes, sir. Always good to see you, Michael. Thank you, man. And you. People have always told me in the fellowship, like I'd said, that the spirit is what was sick. And I believe that because the book says that we suffer from a spiritual malady. It says not only have we been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. And so people have always said, you know, the spirit is sick. This is what I heard. The spirit is sick. And again, like I said earlier, you know, I'm native, so I know for the fact that there, there are many spirits, not all are good. But not the spirit, the spirit. And on page 64, it gives us a very 
clear look at what this is, and we'll be working up to this as we go on. The man, the self is going to be revealed in all the way through it, but especially here. Page 64, second paragraph at the end. This is talking about the inventory. We did exactly the same things with our lives. We took stock on. So first we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self, keyword, manifest in various ways is what had defeated us. See, not lust, not alcohol, not drugs, not self. And self comes in the form of thoughts, ideas, beliefs, actions, attitudes. And we see that's what's setting these men up for their fall every time back here. If we look back in our own life, we're going to see the same thing. But it says this, we consider this common manifestation. Resentment is the number one offender. It, talking about resentment, which is a common manifestation of self, that destroys more alcoholics than anything else, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. From it, talking about resentment, which is a common manifestation of self, stem all forms of spiritual disease. So the spirit is not sick. I'm spiritually sick because of a human condition, which is called self. And it's brought on in the manifestation of resentment, fear, and all kinds of other conduct and the thoughts that precede it. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed this reading today, David. Thank you so much. I love when it says that I, ha I have to learn that I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I am a sexaholic. And boy, what that means for me is that I will never safely be able to use or ingest lust into my body in any form whether it be a, a look or whether it be entertaining a thought or fantasy, that it's absolutely deadly. And it said, this is the first step of recovery and the delusion that somehow down the road, I'm going to think like Jim did, that it's okay to take a drink of lust. It says the delusion that I'm like other people, because other people can, they can safely take a drink. I cannot, or the four most deadly words, or presently may be, has to be smashed. And when I think about how that has to be smashed, it has to be obliterated. There cannot be any thought. And it says it really well on the next page on 33. If we are planning to stop drinking and recover, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday I will be immune to lust or alcohol. Um, I will never be able to safely use in any form lust in my body and for me also alcohol or in drugs even with that matter and i think what's really important on the man of 30 what that showed and i love how you pointed out that at one point he did have the choice i think what that showed me was that his disease was progressive and his disease continues to progress and i know that's my case and i've seen it with sponsees um, i've seen it with other people in the program where they're good for five six years they go back out and they don't go back where they left off. They slide forward and give me a call and say, man, I can't believe where I ended up with this. It's like it's stuff that I'd never have done before. And I said, yeah, I know. This is absolutely deadly. And the last thing I'll say is um, when Jim was describing his stories and he said, I just thought just, man, anytime I hear the word just coming out of my mouth, I know I'm trying to justify something and the red flags really go off. So, man, that was just, that was very, very powerful tonight, David. And I just thank you showing up here every week doing this for us. It is really eye-opening, and I'm having a, a spiritual experience because of it. So thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. And I like how it says we learned. Now, I don't think that's talking about we're going we're gonna to get enough knowledge to, to learn what's going on here. We're going to learn through our experience one way or the other <laughs> how to conceive fully to our innermost self. And for me, 
that learning come through a series of very, very ugly experiences. So thank you, brother. Good to see you. Good morning, everyone from Bali. Uh, thank you very much, David. Thanks very much for everyone in this group. I just, I, I feel the same. It's like the university of life. It's a whole nother level of, of discovery. And so um, I, I remember, David, you said, I think in the first session we did, you said uh, there was, and I was trying to look for it, but I couldn't find it, the suddenly word. And in that case, it was suddenly sanity returned. And then I just noticed again on page 36 when um, our friend Jim had that, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I would have put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. You know, so I suppose the flip side of that, it's the insanity kicking in, right? So I find that really interesting. Uh, like you said, the suddenly was the sanity returning in the first place. And then this is obviously insanity coming in. And it's like, you know, the lie is strong and the truth is hazy. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I just, I just noticed that. And I, I, I am, I've been paying attention to some of the words you've been using and really um, seeing the, how important the definitions are and just that idea of self. To me, I'm just listening to you going, just having those light bulbs go off. So thank you. Jake, thank you, bro. It's good to see you and see all you folks from Bali. Thank you for coming out here. Every I know it's your morning over there, so thank you for getting up and coming to this meeting. And I, and I do want to thank Bali Group. I, I don't want to ever forget to say that each week for requesting this uh, to be done to begin with. And uh, my friend Jay that's over there that has – has been through this work to amends now. Very grateful for that guy and uh, all you guys over there. So thank you. Thank you for coming.